edition of the Forkstown Podcast. Your one-stop shop for anything and everything surrounding the Seattle Mariners baseball team. My name is Rick Clark, and with me, as always, Idaho's greatest export, Mr. Bo Chisholm. Bo, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing fairly well. I'm watching uh, watching some baseball right now, um, and the Rangers are on top of the Astros, so I'm... I'm doing very well right now, just given that fact alone. How are you doing tonight? Uh, not so great anymore. You just jinxed it. You, you just flat out jinxed it. You said they were on top. They're not going to be on top for long now, Bo. What could you did there? How, how could you possibly know that? Because I, I've been keeping a running tally in my head since the start of the season with the Mariners, and you, junk, you jinxed them like 15 times at least. Those sound that sounds made up. Show let's let's see your data. Do you have it in an Excel sheet? Like where is this at? Where are you tracking this at? I'm Bo. I'm not smart enough to use Excel, so it's just all mental notes. I'll refer to the text messages. Bring bring an analysis next time before you before you throw accusations around there, big guy. You, you know what? Next week you're gonna type up our our notes again for the show. And you are going to be working on that. I am going to be working on a dissertation <laughs> proving that you completely jinxed the Mariners this season. And that therefore led to you jinxing the Rangers against the Astros. Got it. So, so the, so the Mariners losing this season and the Astros winning the world series are all collectively my fault. Is that what I'm to understand? Yes. Yes. Bo. it's like, it's like, you know, what happens if the you rip the butterfly's wing off or whatever that is and it just changes the course of history? That's what you did this season. <clears throat> that sounds made up. <laughs> You're right. It is made up because we know why this season <laughs> happened the way it did. <laughs> and it, a lot of it is going to be talked about today when we uh, review the hitting side of things for the Mariners. But before we get into all that, Thank you for taking time again to come back and listen to another edition of the Forkstown Podcast. That's, of course, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Um, if you've been with us since the start, Bo and I just got an email to sent to us by uh, Spotify. That's who we host through. And we've officially been doing this for a year. So, um, you know, big ups if you've been with us throughout the whole year. Um, big ups if you're a new subscriber that is with us today or with us for, you know, five episodes ago. Um, you know, thank you just, you know, truly from both of us for taking time to listen to us and, and, you know, give us the listen and, and, you know, let us be your home for Mariners baseball talks. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so today technically starts, I'm, I'm going to do it. Technically today starts season two of the forks down podcast. So, um, if you haven't already, go hit up our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on threads, just search forks down podcast. You can also hit like, and subscribe on whatever podcast listening app you're listening on. You'll get notified about new episodes dropping. Uh, Bo knows I have a habit of sometimes dropping the episode early. So, uh, my mistake is your guys' gain basically. And then if that happens, go over to whatever podcast listening app you're listening on. And give us a five stars just because I'm an idiot. So, um, <laughs> no, but if you can give us five stars, it'll help get us up the charts a little bit. I broke Bo during this. This is, 
I, I've always told him my goal is to get him to laugh once, and he did. So, um, anyways, that was a sidetrack there. If you give us five stars, it'll get us up the charts a little bit, get us more visibility, get us more listeners, and you know you can help expand the Forks Down Nation around not just the U.S. but the whole world because we've got people in Germany, got people in Australia. Uh, I think I saw Slovenia and Czech Republic the other day. Cool to know that we've got listeners over there. So, with all that being said, Bo, <laughs> let's circle the wagons. Let's get back in there. Usually, this is where we talk about transaction notes. We've got none this week. There was nothing. The hot stove was burning for a little bit. Not anymore. So, Mariners transaction notes, nothing. Zip, zelch, nada. But, Bo, you found something that I find very, very interesting because I would have been uh, on the negative side of this if this would have happened. This is how you worded this. So let me see what say what you put, and then maybe I would, didn't understand it. But uh, the Mariners and Rockies discussed an offseason swap in 2022 for pitching. Um, we know Marco and Flexen both. At one point, we didn't know if we were going to keep them, um, what was going to happen with them. Uh, we we, you know, thought all off season that they would be on the chopping block, on the trade block. Nothing ended up happening. Marco got hurt. Flexen ended up getting traded and then DFA'd by the Mets. But um, you know, the Mariners and Rockies discussed a swap before that. Marco and Flexen. This is what throws me off, though. You said potentially Gilbert or Kirby could have been added to that trade for Brennan Rogers. What? That I read that right, right? You did, and yeah, I think you know. I'm you know I'm primarily taking from MLB trade rumors, which is I think you know where we get a lot of our info, and I think you know very mm-hmm. consumable to most everybody. Um, but yeah, some guy in the Denver Post is talking about that the two teams had a logical kind of connection, right? Of uh, the Rockies need pitching. The Rockies always need pitching, um, but and they have you know good offensive talents over there, and. and uh, in Colorado. So makes a lot of sense for the two of them, uh, matching up. Um, but yeah, says that one of the scenarios would have been right around Marco and Chris Flexen, which ended up making a lot of sense because the Rockies eventually ended up getting Chris Flexen, you know, after the whole trading to New York scenario and then releasing him. So it was probably definitely discussed about, um, yeah, there was some package. It sounds like it was rumored that it was Brendan Rogers for, for George Kirby or Logan Gilbert. Um, you know, obviously that didn't happen. It was a no go. Um, um, but it sounds like they were also thinking about some sort of like Edward Cabrera trade. So the Rockies are looking for pitching. Um, I think what's notable about this is like I don't really see, you know, if their price tag for Brendan Rodgers is Logan Gilbert or George Kirby. That's obviously gone way up. That deal would be incredibly lopsided now. Um, you know, maybe you could see something where they try to figure out a deal with. Wu or Bryce Miller, even though I still think, you know, both those guys are more heavily valued than Brendan Rodgers. So there would be need to need to be more than included into that deal. Um, and I'm not even sure if I really like Brendan Rodgers, but we're going to get into the deeper off season in the next coming weeks. But I think the most interesting part about it is that the Mariners are certainly looking for some sort of second base upgrade and maybe some sort of longer term second base upgrade. And I think that's probably still going to reign true. I think this off season. So certainly something to watch, you know, second base, maybe they, re-enter talks with them over Brendan Rogers or try to go someplace else to look for a second baseman. But um, the team certainly, it seems like they, you know, ventured to try to make some sort of upgrade there, maybe other than Colton Wong. 
Can you imagine? I mean, I, I think Brendan Rodgers probably would have been a little bit better than Colton Long this season. Okay, I'll, I'll get that out of the way. But can you imagine, you know, if we ended up getting rid of one of those two pitchers for Brendan Rodgers and he has a Colton Long type season? I mean, just looking at it so far this offseason, a lot of the talks that I've been seeing from Mariners fans are they don't even want NL hitters anymore. <laughs> like, they are just flat out like, we don't need anyone from the NL. And eh, do I agree with or disagree? I'm kind of on the fence about it. I don't know. Um, could a Juan Soto help us? Absolutely. Um, I've seen I've seen uh, mock trades proposing we go back to the Reds and get one of their young stars like uh, Spencer Steer, which I don't think would happen. But you know, it's cool to dream. But um, a lot of uh, Mariners fans are really on the fence about <laughs> going to the NL and getting a bat from there because they think the NL is the less superior league. I mean, do you agree with that, Bo? Um, um, I agree with it. Me, I don't know. I, I think now that the leagues are now that there's no, um, now that we both have the DH in both leagues, now leagues are both, I don't know, a little more, a little more alike in that sense. It's super difficult for me to say like, it's one's more difficult than the other, right? Like I, I don't know. That's that's a difficult. That's a that's a difficult one for me to get past there, right? Like the NLs had success in the World Series and the playoffs pretty recently, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I'd maybe I'd have to see some more data or dive into it myself to like really confirm that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting one. Maybe we should double click into that one the next time, but um, in our off season episode next the next two weeks, but. Um, yeah, I think if, but I, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna trade, right? Would you want to have Logan Gilbert or George Kirby? Which I don't think they're gonna trade George Kirby. I think Logan Gilbert's still on the on still possibly on there. But like, would you want to trade like Brian Wu or Bryce Miller to someone in the AL where they could eventually beat you? Like, is that or would you rather send them out of the league entirely? I guess that's what I'm going true. for. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Again, that's why Bo's the data guy. He's gonna pull up all that stuff and. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and have a full statistical breakdown on that. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that's asking a lot, but full statistical, full statistical breakdown is that's, that's heavy. That's heavy, man. That's, that's, that's heavy. That's how I worded. That's really throwing you under the bus. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, uh, it's just interesting to hear that, you know, maybe the guy from the Denver post was talking out his butt a little bit about it, but, um, you know, I, I like to think it was probably, uh, uh, you know, the Rockies beat writer that probably put that out there. So I would assume, you know, someone with that information, if it was coming from a source like that was probably their beat writer. So you gotta, you gotta think there was probably some legs to that, but I'm just happy it didn't happen. So, um, Bo, you brought up, you know, the postseason with the Rangers, winning against the Astros, which I hope you didn't jinx, but um, it's been a very interesting postseason for the four teams that are left. Um, I think, you know, to, to get out of the AL for a little bit and talk about the NL, I think it's really cool that we're seeing Paul Seawald, you know, be a big factor for the Diamondbacks. Um, the Diamondbacks played on Monday. They ran the Phillies over um, in Philadelphia, and that series is tied. It's going to game seven. Um, Paul Seawald has been a big factor in that. He's come in, 
closed a bunch of games. He currently leads the postseason right now um, for for saves. So that's really cool. But, I mean, it's not just Paul Seawald that's a former Mariner that's on the Diamondbacks. Kettle Marte is doing really well. That's cool to see. You know, I, I knew getting rid of him, you know, when we did a while back was going to hurt because um, I always thought he'd probably blossom into a pretty good player. And then you got, you know, the hometown, um, you know, product, Corbin Carroll. He's been a big part of the Diamondbacks this whole season, and he's helping uh, go to toe-to-toe with uh, the Phillies, who uh, were the favorites going into it. So um, that NL series, I, I don't know for, you know, about speaking for you, Bo, but I know for me, whoever comes out of that NL series is going to be my pick uh, to win the world series. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And, um, I guess what I'll say is, I guess what I'll say is, um, I really don't want a certain team from Houston to win the world series. So if the score holds tonight, then yeah, hundred percent, like I'm on the Diamondbacks train, but, um, I think the Phillies match up a little bit better with the Astros. So, I hate to make my wants driven by the team that I really want to lose, but that's just the, that's just the way it goes. But anyways, if the score holds on with the Rangers tonight, um, you know, I'm a hundred percent rooting going to be tuning in pretty heavy on Tuesday night for the, for the Diamondbacks to win that game and for Paul to continue the dominance that he has no earned runs in the no earned runs, 11 strikeouts guys just been um, going wild, going crazy this off this postseason. So uh, really good to see for Polly. Yeah. Yeah. And, he has been, like you have said so eloquently throughout the season, he's been shoving, um, as you have put it. <laughs> you know, got to get in with all those new age terms here. Um, but yeah, good to see. Um, again, I, I'm i rooting for whoever's coming out of the NL. So if the Phillies end up taking it, Bryce Harper, man, I want him to win a World Series. I'm here for it. Um, especially over whoever comes out of the AL because... Regardless if the Astros lose tonight, the Rangers would be the ones making the World Series, and I don't want them to win either. Uh, <laughs> it's been a very, uh, very tight series uh, up until Game Seven. Um, a lot of back and forth, uh, a lot of animosity. You know, I thought the Astros were tired of getting hit, but they, you know, continue to hit batters and in high leverage situations. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm with you, Bo. I will, I would want the Rangers to keep that lead and and win, so we don't have to hear about the Astros or you know even the Houston's fans for you know at, at least until next April. So, yeah, no, um, just uh, knock on wood, and hopefully the the Rangers will hold on there. So, yep, yep, yep. All right, Bo. Well, that's enough talking about these other teams. Let's get. Let's get down to why we're here. Um, and that is the review of the season that has been currently in progress. Um, we've, we've had a little time to sit on this side of things. Last week we did pitching review and that came pretty fresh out of our minds, but I think we needed an extra week. I think we picked pitching because hitting was, um, was a very, um, roller coaster of a season ride for the Mariners. Um, some months they were great. Some months you felt like the offense could lead the team to victory and other months you were lucky for them to put up two, even two runs a game. 
you know, one, two runs. And um, it just, it was painful to watch the offense this season. I mean, it's always been painful, at least the last few years, it's been very painful to watch the Mariners when they, you know, are on offense. They've been a very pitching heavy team for a while. But uh, this season, just with the expectations running high that, you know, the Mariners were trying to make the playoffs, you know, you, you felt like, you know, the offense would come out and fare a little bit better, but that just was not the case. So, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to walk through some stats here and my stats are a little bit, um, you know, I think you'll probably see from maybe my stats, the story that I'm trying to go for with some of this, but um, we can start with, um, you know, the season story kind of starting off with was, um, the team really struggled in April, May, and June, the offense in particular. Um, <clears throat> we had a, a 94 WRC plus and a 302 weight on base percentage. The league average for those time for those months was 98 and 316. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, taking it to the batting average of the on base percentage level, right? For, for those three months, it was 229. Uh, the Mariners that is with the average and a 306 on base percentage and the league average over those three months was a 247 batting average and a 319 on base percentage. Um, that's all to say that, uh, you know, April, May, June was, um, was rough, was rough sledding for the Mariners. I think pitching wise for the rough, rough sledding for the Mariners hitting wise. And, um, for, for me, it felt like it was, um, a lot of swing and miss, right. I remember the first game that I saw in T-Mobile, right. Um, was just, uh, it was rough to watch cause it was just seems like we, we were making good pitchers, uh, making bad pitchers look really good guys that never really had high strikeout numbers. We were kind of giving that to them and it was just a team that was swinging and missing, um, just very simply at, at a lot. Right. Um, so it was tough to watch, I think in those first couple of months, um, However, um, the offense came alive in August. Um, I think we saw signs of it kind of building up in July. Um, they hit to a 143 WRC plus with a 371 weighted on base percentage. Um, those numbers were very comparable to what the Rays were doing at the start of the season. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, really credit to, you know, I think the offense during that time. And you know, I think one person in particular really kind of drove that. But um, the whole offense was really kind of clicking during that during that month. Um the one thing, um, the Mariners batting average in balls in play during that month of August was 352. Um, it was the highest for any team in a single month, um, in the last two years. And it was only second to the second, it was the second highest next to the Cardinals in 2022. I think it was August, 2022 for the Cardinals as well, or July, one of them there. Um, but I think it's important to call that out because, you know, if you saw a high batting average and balls in play and you were playing fantasy baseball, you would say, Oh, that's a guy that's prone for regression. Right. Um, and that just kind of is what happened to the Mariners. Right. Um, so I think we'll, we'll continue on here, but like Julio's August, um, record setting, right. At one point, I think going 17 for 22 and, set a whole bunch of other records and numerous four for five games, five for five games, and um, really had a, you know, solid overall season from, um, well, I think a solid overall when you look at the total numbers that is from Julio, um, like his numbers might be a little deceptive based upon maybe his earlier months as well, but his overall stat line looks very healthy. 
Um, but the most consistent hitter for the Mariners was absolutely, I think, J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford never had a month where he was really below average. He always had a w, above a w, 100 WRC plus the whole the whole year, every single month. Um, and then Kyle Brawley also had a pretty consistent year as well. Um, uh, you know, good July and August baseball for Cal. Um, and then I think to wrap up the stats here on the negative side, um, did put Tommy LaStella, Colton Wong, AJ Pollock, did combine for a negative two war with WRC pluses that were in the fifties and the thirties in Colton Wong's case. So all that to prime us to kind of get into our discussion here and to the different topics that we'll have, but um, you know, maybe I'll kick it to you, Rick, you know, what, what were your thoughts on, you know, those first couple months of Mariners baseball and why do you think it ended up being that way? You know, I, I, I'm not in that clubhouse. I don't, I don't know what, you know, we, we had a lot of questions at the start of the season when we were, you know, watching the Mariners go through this and questioning what, what is going on? What are they getting told by the hitting coach? Cause obviously their, their hitting philosophy is just not meshing with, you know, what the, the output should be. Um, you know, so very, very rough start offensively. Uh, a lot of the new guys, every single one of them on the offensive side of things, uh, just did not do well. Tommy Lestella ended up getting DFA'd a couple months in the season. Colton Wong got DFA'd. Alec, AJ Pollock got traded. Teo, you know, um, had the best, you know, couple first months of the new guys to start the season. And even he was well below what he was averaging, you know, with Toronto. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever the hitting philosophy was. And I know several times, um, over the course of the first couple months, you know, Mariners fans alike were asking for the heads of, um, the hitting coaches, you know? And so it was just, it was really rough to watch. And I think that's what made, um, the turnaround a little bit more special after the all-star um, break, the, you know, all-star game came and went, you know, we were there and then the Mariners, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say they floundered in July, but they were getting prime for their run, um, you know, through July and August. And, um, you know, they, uh, you, you put it out perfectly with the stats there. I mean, Julio's August was just amazing. Um, you know, JP had a good, uh, I think he was hurt during a little bit of August, but had a good month. And then, um, you know, Cal was kind of just the consistent person behind the plate, you know, and, and ended up getting a lot more, um, at bats toward the end of the season because Tom Murphy got hurt. And I think that probably attributed a little bit to Cal, at least, um, kind of how September went for everyone, you know, um. Cal still had some big home runs, um, you know, in September, but, um, you know, I, I think him playing a bunch behind the dish, uh, probably attributed to some of his regression in September, late September. Um, you know, but that's not the case with the rest of the team. And it's, it's hard to, to really pinpoint in September, you know, why the regression was so bad, you know, they were striking out a bunch. I mean, you mentioned it several times, you know, in those last few podcasts towards the end of the season. This doesn't look like the July or August Mariners. This looks like the April Mariners that we got, you know. And um, it was kind of wild because, like, you know, the Mariners traded Paul Seawald, who's having success, and brought in Canzone and Rojas. And Rojas and Canzone both had a 
I would say a pretty decent start and they weren't, you know, great by any stretch of the imagination, but they had a pretty decent start to the Mariners careers. You know, Josh uh, Rojas um, did a good job coming out of the nine hole and keeping the line moving, you know, in Canzone ended up having a couple fun home runs that we saw, but um, you know, they just, I don't know. Did, did they not buy into the, the hitting philosophy? I don't know. That's a hard, hard thing to say. You know, I, I would say I would lean on the side of yes because, you know, of, of the stats, you know, the stats don't lie most of the time, what the stats were, you know, and I noticed you skipped over September. Do you got any, um, any of the WRC plus for September? I think we probably had talked about it at one point, but maybe just reminding the viewers of, of what we saw in September. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a 95 WRC plus in the months of, well, September plus a couple days in October. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the thing is that's the, exactly what the number that they had in June was. So, um, it's actually kind of scary how close, um, how close the months of June and September were for this Mariner team. Actually very scary, right? They batted 230 in the month of June. They batted 231 in the month of September. They had a 305 on base percentage in June and a 304 on base percentage in September. Like basically we had, Basically, yeah, the the main problem at the end of the season was that we were just the same team in June that we were in September, and that wasn't going to get us to the playoffs. Um, You know, a team that struck out a little bit more, um, didn't get on base as much, right? And um, yeah, ended up hurting us at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's going to attribute, you know, I I think we've, we've seen Mariners fans so far in the off season, it's not even, you know, a couple months in the off season and the Mariners fans want answers, you know, and we had that banger of a press conference from Jerry, you know, at the end of the season, but, um, it's going to leave a lot of question marks going forward. You know, this is going to be, you know, we, we say it, it seems like we're saying it every off season, but this is going to be one of the most crucial off seasons for the Mariners offensive wise, you know? Um, you know, who are we going to bring in to be an everyday player? Who's going to come in and, and, you know, get at bats from guys that didn't look great. You know, what's happening. You know, we can start at the top of the list. You know, Mike Ford did make some positive contributions this season, but was that enough to warrant something going forward? Is he more than just a bench bat next season? You know, like that's, that's a big question we, where you're going to have, uh, Jose Caballero contributions early then heavily heavily fell off and i would not be surprised i don't know if you got the stats up but wouldn't be surprised if you know when it comes to the wrc plus and all that if jose carbiero was the worst second baseman in the league you know with a certain amount of bats you know like is he still on this team in 2024 and if he if so what's his role because obviously it's not hitting you know so it's uh you know, th- those are just two of the, you know, big questions, you know, we're going to dive into some more, but yeah. you know, Ty France and Gino are both question marks too. How does Josh Rojas and Dominic Canzone fit in going forward? There's just so much in play this off season. Yeah. And, um, I think I look back and like, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're not tuning our own horn here, right? I think to start the season, we were kind of like, ooh, Tommy LaStella. Is Tommy LaStella even going to really get that many at-bats in a Mariner uniform? And 
Um, you know, maybe we could pick out Tommy list Stella, but there was just some things that seemed like they were just out of our control or like, I don't know. Um, I'm, and I'm mostly talking about Colton Wong and AJ Pollock. And, you know, I think when we signed AJ Pollock, I think that there was a collective group of people that thought that, that was a good signing, right? Like, well, I think there was a lot of people that thought that, um, you know, that little bit of production that we might get out of AJ Pollock, kind of having him play that DH role swinging with, um, you know, Kelnick to give Kelnick a little bit of a break against lefties, right. was a really good signing. And, um, yeah, it just didn't end up being that way. And I don't know it, you know, it's, it, there's a reason why Colton Wong probably ended up back on the Dodgers, right. Cause it just seems like the Dodgers are a team that can like squeeze the last little bit out of baseball out of some of these guys. And, um, it just seems like the Mariners have a problem with that. Right. And yeah, they've done it before with guys like, you know, Carlos Santana and you can even say they probably did with Ty France in some capacity, but um, it just seems like these kind of signings that, you know, might help the Dodgers lift themselves to do another, you know, their half win or something like that. The Mariners have a real hard time doing that. And I think that's more recently. And I don't know what that's all about. Right. I don't know if it is just the coaching or if it's, um, you know, the environment or what exactly it is there, but it just seems like sometimes there's offensive issues that are just out of the Mariners control sometimes. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just frustrating to see that because I think we both had high hopes for Colton Wong. Right. And you were a big Pollock. You were, you were a guy that I think was on the Pollock train to start with. And I, I was, I absolutely was. I mean, Pollock was one year removed from having a pretty decent season from the White Sox, you know, and <laughs> friend of the show, Cody Esman, I talked to him because, you know, he's a big White Sox fan. And he's like, don't don't be surprised if he kind of flames out. Like, I think we got the last little bit of baseball out of him. You know, he, he hadn't looked good. Um, even in the last little positive baseball he had a couple seasons ago, it wasn't great towards the end there. So he's like, I'd be weary about that signing. But I was still, you know, wanted to keep my hopes high, you know. You know, something, something had to fit. And I thought maybe that was a good fit. You know, I had not been on the Listella train though. I, I, I want to go on record and you can probably remember from previous episodes before the season last year that I was like, why is he still on the team? And then a weekend you were on the train of, well, we're on Listella watch now. Like, I think we were making bets before the season started you know, how long he's, he's on this team officially, you know, and yeah. you weren't too far off with the Westella and then Wong, um, you know, I think we both picked him to be on this team this season when we did our projected lineups. Um, it was between him and, and Gleber Torres from the Yankees and both of us, uh, if I didn't say Gleber, I was, I, I, I think I said I was pretty okay with Wong if that happened. Um, but how wrong we were on that, you know, like that just did not work. And, you know, we talk about Jose, I just said, you know, Jose Caballero was, you know, wouldn't surprise me if he was the worst statistically, you know, statistic first or second baseman in the league, but Colton Wong literally was in his time with us. I mean, I remember watching his first home run in New York and it's like, you could tell he, he was, he breathed, you know, took a deep breath and you know you could see the relief on his face but you know it wasn't going to last long that wasn't going to be the turnaround and i think i put on reddit that day here comes colton wong's big turnaround and we're going to remember him uh positively in a mariner's uniform and 
how wrong I was, Bill. How wrong I was. Yeah, you were a, you were a big Colton Wong guy at the start of the season. We could see Colton Wong's issues popping up, and I don't know. I'm I'm worried Colton Wong is going to be the the linchpin or the you know with the the target that we always use for when a guy's struggling like thirty get thirty at bats in the season. So he's be like, oh, he's being Colton Wong. You'd be like, well, I can't really like. I can't really, it's like, it's difficult for me to really disagree with you that much. Cause Colton Wong was bad from the start. Colton Wong just looked cooked from the start and it just never, never got going. You can make a case for any of those three guys. We just said, you can even make a case for Teo at the start of the season. Cause Teo's start was not fabulous whatsoever. He turned it around and, uh, had, you know, was a big, uh component this year i think he was i don't know if you have the home run totals i think he was third on the team in home runs by the end of the season so he came around a little bit but still not as good as he was in toronto you know and and so um yeah not good yeah not good and yeah deceptive his numbers are a little deceptive too with you know a pretty good june and a really good august as well so yeah you know we're we're talking a lot about the the new guys bo the proverbial quote-unquote new guys but uh you know we've got some question marks with you know some of the guys that have been on the team you know i mentioned ty france earlier very up and down we uh we heard through the grapevine through i think jp when he talked to the media that he was taking ty france with him to driveline so not only is that good news for jp um you know going back to driveline and realizing that was probably why he had some success this season but uh, he's taking Ty France with him. Ty France has a house in Seattle. But, um, you know, the question still is, you know, with what we saw in 2023, is it time to move on? Yeah. And um, difficult, difficult, like, I won't say difficult for me to answer. It's like if Ty France is expected to be one of our five best hitters, right? Like if he's expected to be one through five in the order anywhere, like absolutely it's time to go get like another first baseman that can probably, you know, hit for power and hit in one of those spots. Right. Like I, if Ty France is going to hit seven, eight or nine in the order, I'm probably more open to that of Ty France still being on the team. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's assuming that we go out and we acquire two, you know, big bats to, to stick in, you know, with the one through five hole there somewhere. So um. Yeah, it's difficult for me with Ty, with Ty too because Ty also doesn't play a great first base either, right? Like he's you know he's a competent first baseman, but um, you know I don't think like I guess we're not. I kind of disagree with you on that. Okay, I think I think he's got I think he's got the chops, maybe not to be a Gold Glove first baseman, but I think his his uh his defensive skill is above average. Okay. I think it is, um, you know, there's a reason the Mariners, uh, you know, we're one of the best teams in baseball when it comes to defense, you know, uh, errors, you know, least amount of errors and probably fielding percentage. But, uh, you know, Ty France has a, a little bit to do with that too, because he did play a pretty good first base defensively. Okay. 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 I won't, I won't, I won't fight, I won't push back too much. I'll just say that like, I think baseball's a bond probably grades him you know, somewhere in the middle, right? Not like, maybe not as bad as I was talking about. Right. So like, I'm probably more open to what you were talking about, but I guess, you know, the the thing is, is we didn't get the power with Ty France. We didn't get the, the power kind of took a step back. He's still hitting the ball relatively hard, but, um, 
you know, I think I have it as a 70 point drop in your slugging percentage, right? Um, that's just, uh, that's just tough. That's just really, really tough. I think this good news is, is that he's still getting on base. It seems like, right. Still got a base, like a 337 clip this year. So like that's positive. Um, but you know, still very much more of an average bat. And I think, you know, Ty France, uh, kind of disappeared in some big moments toward the end of the season. So I think that that's really on everybody's mind. <clears throat> I think as we go into the off season. Um, but like I said, if Ty France can be like a one, if Ty France can bat, seventh and th- seventh in this lineup eighth in this lineup i'm okay with that um but it's if we're asking ty france to bat like ty france is our opening day three hole hitter in 2023 right like if we're asking ty france to probably get back to where he was i don't feel like that's a yes and maybe driveline is the maybe the driveline is the trick you know i don't think we should put all our chips into that but like yeah, if Ty France is expected to be one of our best hitters, then I'm not on board with that at all. We should probably go look somewhere else, right? Um, so that's kind of it's kind of the way I feel about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that the you know we know that the Mariners were interested in trying to move him at the deadline last year, so um, we'll see what they want to do this year. But I think continue on kind of the current Mariner players. Um, you uh, you brought up you know Eugenio earlier, and Eugenio. You know, we we have, we've heard that Eugenio kind of came into maybe camp this year, maybe not being his full self with not getting a right start with the WBC and all that. And maybe there's some truth to that. Right. Um, so we'll kind of see what kind of shape he's in, you know, come spring next year. But um, Eugenio, I wouldn't say it wasn't say wasn't really the I think the unsung offensive hero like he was in 2022. Um Mm-hmm. you know still hit 22 home runs this year um but you know again the slugging just was the slugging that just wasn't there again for him this year like it was right in 2023 2022 um mm-hmm. but i think the good part of that is you know he had excellent defense in 2023 so that was good to see but the offense is really what the Mariners needed and we just didn't really get that out of um, eugenio you know i think eugenio certainly had moments you know had a good august just like the rest of the team but we just didn't get what we wanted to out of him you know especially given off the high of you know, what we had in 2022. Mm-hmm. I, you, Eugenio Gino is just such a, I don't know. I'm so conflicted with Gino because by all intensive purposes, uh, he had a worse season offensively uh, down in home runs. Average was about the same. You know, he did go on that stretch uh, where he had, what, 10 games with RBIs, but even his RBI total was down this season. Um, you know, but he raised his game defensively. You know, I don't feel like Gino has really been the defensive type, but played gold glove, gold glove caliber defense. He didn't get nominated, which was shocking. But, um, you know, he played gold glove caliber defense all season. So it was kind of a weird season in that aspect of him, you know, being better at defense and not as great on offense. Um, if you ask me, I would sacrifice having a defensive third baseman. You know, we just know that the, you know, being a very good defensive, de- uh, defensive player in a Mariners uniform, uh, doesn't work out. You know, uh, if you want sources on that? Go check Brendan Ryan. You know, he, I, I mean, I know he led the Mariners one season in war, but, that was because of the defensive side of things. Um, so I don't know. It could be his last season of Mariners uniform. You know, he's going to have to have a big season if he wants to show he's going to be back. 
Um, he's def- definitely one of the, I would feel, leaders on the team. Um, you know, he has a pretty positive influence on people. Um, you know, you didn't see him. I mean, he got mad, certainly, when things were going the other way for him. But uh, generally a pretty positive guy. You know, wanted to keep the good vibes rolling. Um, so I'm I'm not too worried about Gino in this last year. What could be his last year of his contract? You know, it could be his last year in a Mariners uniform. I'm fine with that. I would, you know, prefer someone with a little more offense. So if the Mariners were to go find someone to, uh, you know, pick up his production and, you know, even move him to DH or if we move Ty, maybe move him to first. I don't know. But, um, you know, Gino, I think um, just had a very middle of the road season and is probably in the middle of what the Mariners need to worry about this off season. Yeah. And I think from some of the comments they had, um, at some point this off season, it sounds like Gino sounds like they're going to probably give him a full gung ho chance again at all this, but certainly if there's an opportunity to upgrade, the Mariners should not, you know, turn their back on that. Right. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think, from you know what we talked about with Teoscar and Eugenio and Ty France and some of the second base stuff, there's really four different areas where I think the Mariners could upgrade or get better at. Um, certainly, they need to get or fill something in in the outfield. But yeah, there's a lot of different places, a lot of different. Um, I would maybe go as far as to call them holes, maybe except in the outfield. But um, yeah, with just how with how average really the offense was this year, outside of I think realistically two guys. Um, I don't think we should say no to really anything, right? Just because um, just how much it struggled. Yeah, I I think there's only three positions in the whole um, the whole field that are set for next season. Uh, Cal being behind the plate as the you know catcher that goes three four games. Uh, JP at shortstop. I think he solidified him being a shortstop. And if we ever, ever, ever give someone the C, give them the captaincy, I think JP has earned it. I think JP would be that guy. And then Julio in center. Those are the three guys that are, you know, right now the the three focal points of the offense that don't need to be changed. Um, you know, left field, Kelnick had a very big start to the year massively cooled down after um you know probably april may you know he was he was the bright spot in april which was not a good you know month for us offensively but he was the bright spot then he had the water cooler incident came back did have some timely walks some some hits but um i don't think he had a home run after he came back either um you know it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him um teo and right teo um, put out an Instagram message that we touched on, uh, you know, thanking Seattle. He made it sound like he's not going to be back. Uh, second base is very up in the air with Rojas potentially getting a look, but that's certainly something that needs to be looked at. Uh, we just talked about first and third base. You know, those are, uh, you know, two spots that could potentially be up for grabs. I would, I, you know, I would lean less on Third base, you know, I would stick with Gino if it came to it. Um, and 
obviously there's bigger holes to fill offensively and defensively, but um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heck of a heck of an off season. If we're, you know, we're waiting on hot stove moments and we're just going to have to wait until after the world series for those. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of moving parts. Um, and I, I do want to double click maybe on what do we think about what is Kelnick's future look like? Like, do we think I, I was a little disappointed with the team that they didn't give him more chances. And I understand reasons why of like not facing left-handers, I think going into the end of the year. But um, I, I kind of feel like we're at a point with Kelnick. Like we need to, we need to find out if it's there, if we have it or not, if he has it or not. Right. Like, let's give him a real shot here. And like, I know we did that. We did that for most of the year. He did eventually end up cooling down. So like, I understand you can just point to that and say it, he was bound to regress, but um, <clears throat> you know, I, I just do think we're probably at a point where we got to just see what we got with him. I think he's probably going to get one of the corner outfield spots. I think starting opening day, but likely next year, right. Whether or not we get a right fielder, he can go, play left maybe he goes play right if we get a left fielder i think he's probably going to get one of those spots um and i just kind of feel like you know he hit left-handers actually pretty well this year right granted only 55 games but um you know i think there's still some sort of opportunity there for him to do that and i think we're we're at a point in his progression and his development now that i just want to you know give him a full shot and yes he kicked himself um no pun intended there but like he kicked himself a little bit this year and really struggled, um, you know, with some of the attitude stuff and hopefully that's, you know, reversed its sort and it's fixed itself. And hopefully that'll, you know, bear fruit sometime in early in the year. But, um, I know cause you were a big Kelnick guy, right? Going back to, I think early in the mm-hmm. early start of the season, right. You were a guy that's like, Oh, I think Kelnick could, um, you know, maybe even get some MVP boats someday. And we're just not there now. It seems like, do you feel like we just need to let him go? Like let him go in a way of not like, not like release him. I'm saying like, just kind of just let him go and just see what happens. Right. Like left-handers, right-handers, like what do we got there? Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree with what you said there. Like he needs to get his shot playing every day, you know? And, and, um, I, I feel like certainly maybe for maybe a month this season that he got to play every day, you know, Scott really likes his lefty, righty, righty, lefty matchups, you know? And I think Kelnick's the type of player that um, is going to get discouraged by that. And, you know, we need to certainly, you know, it's it's time to, uh, you know, as they say, crap or get off the pot with him. You know, we need to, uh, we need to really <laughs> play him every day and see if we've got something. You know, again, he did, he did shoot himself in the foot with the whole water cooler incident. Um, you know, if we're talking about, attitude issues you know he'd probably be a one on the team right now but uh i think the talent's there we just we need to make an effort to get him to put it all together you know it's not just him now it's you know the coaching staff needs to have a little bit more faith in him and let that peacock spread its wings and you know grow and be colorful so got it yeah i'm yeah i'm with you let's see what we got I think, I think the thing with Kelnick is, I want to say reality settling in, but like, I, I think there was an expectation that maybe he could be, you know, one of these, you know, 
but one of these top lineup guys, one of these guys that, you know, is next to Julio and just as good as he was. And I feel like the expectations might be changing around Jared a little bit. And maybe that's a good thing, right? Maybe if he comes in, expectations are different and he really kind of blows us away. That would be ideal. But um, yeah, I just don't know if we can count on Kelnick probably being um, the top tier offensive talent that we kind of expected him to be. But um, who knows? Maybe that's a good thing for him. Maybe that gives him the motivation to come out of the gate next year and see what he's like. So, yeah. 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 There's just so many, so many uh, things to talk about here because, you know, Julio um, is probably going to end up being, getting some MVP votes this season. You know, Um, he did have a great couple months and, you know, it was really the best hitter through August. I think not just on the Mariners, but the whole league, Um, you know, but, you know, one of the, one of the question is, questions is can Julio put this all together for a full season? Cause it happened last season too, where he got off to a very rough start. Um, you know, hit his first home run, I think it was in May in Miami last year. And then that kind of set him off onto a good traje- trajectory, um, ended up winning rookie of the year. But, um, you know, this season was a little different. He was supposed to be the, the number one output player on this team. You know, if you look at, your big fantasy baseball guy he was consistently in the top 10 and i think he got there this season but you know even had a longer regression at the start of the season than he did at the end um you know can we expect next season um julio to be an mvp candidate i i mean i definitely think so right he's uh you know hit 32 home runs this year um still 37 bags uh, yeah, I think the positive, I think the big positive, right. Is he actually hit the ball harder this year, right? His expected Woba is, is higher than, um, what it was this time last year at the end of last year. That is so like, I think he's getting stronger, but you've, you've pinpointed it correctly. And I would, I, I would give what you said as you know, what the whole team needs, right. Is like the team just has to start better. The offense just has to, and Julio in particular is that right. Has to, I think start better. They just have to be better those first couple months of the season. I don't know what that is. Like I hope would be that they go into spring training with a good plan to kind of get the offense a little bit more awake to start the season. And Julio is obviously a big part of that, right? Having Julio wake up early and drive this offense is going to be vital for the rest of the team. Right. Think about if we could squeeze out, you know, three more wins in the month of, you know, those three months, if we could have squeezed out, you know, one more win in each of those three first three months of the seasons where we would have been right. So yeah. And just a, just a big hope in mind that, you know, we can get these guys ready, more prepared to start the season. And, um, you know, Julio in particular to kind of propel him to what could be a pretty good season in 2024. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our review here and we're certainly in the future going to have an episode where we, um, take a further breakdown of the roster and, and put out our expected roster, our expected up opening day roster for 2024. Um, so it's really, you know, after, we got to get to after the World Series to really do that, you know, to see. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces throughout the league, you know. Um, Juan Soto, I think, is very much on the table. Uh, Shohei, as much as anyone from Seattle wants to say, I think the Mariners, you know, need to at least – look at Shohei as being a potential answer. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's other, 
there's other trade partners out there. Jerry, Jerry's a big, uh, big trader. That's why his name, nickname's Trader Jerry. Um, I, I certainly think that Jerry's going to give teams like the Rays a call. Um, teams like the Reds a call, you know, um, you know, teams that are looking to get a little bit more pitching, but off, uh, you know, can offload some hitting. So, um, you know, it's going to be a very interesting offseason for this offense. Um, I, I feel like we say that about everything. You know, it's going to be an interesting offseason, interesting offseason. But, like, you know, this is going to be a big one. You know, the Mariners the Mariners are either at the tail end of this rebuild or are going to start winning, winning some divisions, winning some uh, playoff games, potentially making a World Series, or we're going to go back into dormancy for another 20, 25 years. You know, it's just really really tough to call so well we're going to do the same thing we did last uh episode um you know we got a top offensive moment and top hitter so well why don't you start with your top offensive moment of the year for the mariners um so i'm actually gonna go with a moment like I know that's I know that's that's super dumb for me to say because you just told me to do a moment. Um, I'm gonna go with like the, like uh, for me it was um, the Cade Marlowe home run. Um, I think at the start of August uh, against the against the Angels, the, the Grand Slam it was right um, that we were down and it was late in the game and Cade Marlowe, um, yeah, had his uh, had his Grand Slam and that was uh, I think we were on the phone. I think we were podcasting at the time and we had to delay it because we were just uh, we were very excited at the time and um, mm-hmm. it was just a kickoff to what ended up being a great sweep and it was a kickoff to you know a great August for the Mariners and um, you know a guy like Cade Marlowe who we've got to see for the first time this year. It was a very big moment, um, very good, see, very good to see. So that was definitely I think the the thing that definitely comes to my mind first, you know, coupled with, you know, obviously the streak that Julio went on, but, um, and you know, there's a couple of the JP Crawford home runs at the end of this season, which hopefully I'm not spoiling your moment here, but, um, yeah, that was a big one for me. So what do you got? I, I, for, for such a down season, I think there was such, there were so many memorable moments that I can remember just as I'm sitting here trying to think of, well, what was my top offensive moment? Um, shout out to the Cade Marlowe one. That's certainly one I thought of. Um, again, we were on the call for that. We we're super excited when that happened. Um, you know, Cal Raleigh had some big home runs this season, uh, hitting a home run from both sides of the plate. Finway certainly is up there. Yep. That is cool. Um, his, uh, home run was it in Baltimore to tie the game. I think it was him. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, that was a fun one. Dominic Canzone had a big home run. To, and you were at that game yep. against Baltimore at home. Yes, sir. That was a big one. Uh, and, and all these moments are revolving around home runs. <laughs> Surprisingly, JP had a couple big ones. I think Mike Ford's big offensive day on 4th of July certainly needs to have an honorable mention. You know, that, that could propel him and they could look at that and be like, let's get you know, more consistency out of that. And he comes back next year because of something like that. Um, but I think, you know, top offensive moments got to be that run that Julio went on, you know, setting records. Um, just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I never expected it from him. So seeing that happen night one, night two, <laughs> you know, we were joking the next day, like, could he do it again? And he, 
did it again, you know, and then like three days later out of the streak, he had another four hit game, you know? So it was just like, I, I think that was the top offensive moment of the season. You know, it's not a singular moment, but I, I think that needs to be looked at as, you know, a big reason, a big cog in the wheel that was the Mariners August and getting them back into the playoff hunt. Um, one last shout out to Gino's, uh, I think it was 10 games with an RBI. That was a cool moment. Um, you know, again, Gino, I love watching Gino play. I just want him to do so much better. So, um, yeah, that was so many offensive moments for a, a team that wasn't great offensively. So, and then Bo, I, I, uh, you know, who was your hitter of the year? I don't think there's going to be any surprises here, but, uh, who was your hitter hitter of the year for the Mariners? Um, I feel like you might be able to take this in a couple of different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to take JP Crawford. Yeah. Uh, JP Crawford was my guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like I have besmirched JP Crawford before uh, I wasn't, you know, I feel like JP Crawford in the past has been incredibly inconsistent, right? He was the guy that batted one through nine in the batting order. Um, and historically, right. Previously, and was just kind of had really hot streaks and really cold streaks. And, um, you know, I have been, I've been, I think mean to JP Crawford to say, like, I just don't know if it's, it's there. And he kind of latched onto it this year. And, you know, I put, I think I put a lot of that talk down, right. Um, the fact that he improved his home run total to 19 home runs, um, you know, while still getting on base more, you know, on addition to just hitting for a good average this year, you couple that with just, uh, you know, he was 34% better than, you know, league average, right. He was just, uh, the most consistent hitter the Mariners had all season. And he coupled that with some big moments, I think towards the end of the season. And, um, he's a hundred percent my guy. Um, are you the same? Are you of the same boat or, you know, where else would you, where else would you go with that? Yep. I mean, I feel like there's only two options here and you won't be wrong hitting both. Um, you know, you pick JP as your guy. I can't argue with that and probably would be my guy, you know, every other day of the week. But I think our hitter of the year has to be Julio just for what he did. Um, he was the main driving force in that lineup. Even, you know, it, it, you really felt like the Mariners didn't have a chance when he wasn't doing good in, in September, you know. If, if he comes around and hits a couple more home runs and doesn't strike out as much, like, you know, and, and turns that negative into a positive, you know, we might be talking about the Mariners making the playoffs, even making a deep run. I feel like the playoffs have been very, very open this season. You know, the teams that you expected to make the World Series did aren't, you know. So, um, you know, you pick JP, that's not a wrong answer. I'm going to pick Julio because that's not the wrong answer, you know. They were both the, you know, if, if, if Julio was one, then JP at, at, at very worst was two. You can almost say they were one, a one B. Yeah. And, and uh, honorable mention, just cause he's my dude. JP's your dude, my dude, Cal Raleigh. Let's get that average up just a little bit more, but leading the league in home runs as a catcher, like four catchers nothing to scoff at so yep and being one of the best defensive catchers in the league you know helps too so um i think we've got another player that i'm surprised did not get a gold glove nomination 
Just saying. We should have had at least three. So. Yeah, I think if, you know, um, well, you know, next couple of weeks, we're going to do our offseason deep dives. But, um, you know, those three guys right now, if you go to roster resource or penciled in as our one, two, three hitters, you know, those are those are a little bit of our core offensive players right now. And, you know, we'll take a deep dive about where we think they're going to go after that. But um, all three good guys had fantastic good seasons. And, you know, hopefully that'll continue in 2024. If I had someone that was a brand new Mariners fan come up to me and be like, I'm buying a jersey. Who should I buy? They would legitimately probably be the three players that I would do. Julio, Cal, JP. Can't go wrong with any one of those jerseys. Now, obviously, I'd probably want to include Kirby or Gilbert. Maybe not Gilbert for long, but Kirby or Lapidra. But, um, you know, I just had, you know, I just had a friend that started watching the Kraken. He's like, I want to get a jersey. What jersey should I get? I named three players. I'm like, you won't go wrong with any of those players. He goes, well, who would you get? And I named three different players because they're my favorite. (laughs) I wouldn't do that with the Mariners. I would, if I told you JP, Julio, and Cal, you best believe I'd probably be getting one of those three jerseys. So I like it. Good. All good choices. Yep. Next season, I you know what? I will get a jersey next season. It'll be the Cal Raleigh All Star jersey. Oh, wow! Bold predictions and bold predictions oh. in October. I like it. <laughs> yep, yep. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I didn't hit on any of my bold predictions la- this last season, so. <laughs> well, Bo, that's the show we have today. You got anything else for the listeners before we get out of here? Uh, all for me. I think we're going to dive into our, uh, off season outlook. I think the next couple weeks here. So I'm looking forward to, um, chatting all about where we're going. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, just, to to give the listeners a preview of where we're at as we're shooting. Um, it is the bottom of the eighth in game seven of the ALCS the Astros. Let's see. The Astros just hit. Another home run, Adolis Garcia, in the bottom of the eighth to make it 11-3. So. Adolis Garcia hates Houston. I think that's very clear from this entire series. So there you go. I think, you know what, if there's one thing, you know that meme where it's the the one hand, you know, doing the five with the other hand because they're, you know, we can agree on something. I think you make one hand the Mariners, one hand the Rangers, and then put Brian Abreu's name above it. And I think common enemy right there you can do the whole astros team but right now brian abreu <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, let's uh, let's get out of here for all our listeners in the puget sound pacific northwest and beyond thank you for taking time to listen to another edition of the Forkstown podcast for Bochism, i'm rick clark and we'll see you guys next week brother